each person is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you're part of the body of Jesus, in your life will be manifestations of the Holy Spirit given for the common good. Let me give you a little aside just for a moment. I was on retreat this week and I was cycling through England and I got to a certain part of Kent where uh, the a particular uh, sect, a non, non, non-Christian, sub-Christian sect uh, exists uh, and uh, it was a very difficult place to minister in. I was talking to the ministers there whose uh, vicarage I was staying in and uh, they were saying about someone who had been converted from witchcraft into Christianity. Uh, this person being converted from witchcraft to Christianity, and she was very aware of what was going on for people out there within the world of the covens in contrast with the church. And one of the things she said is, um, for goodness sake, make sure the children get baptized in your parish, because once they're baptized, the coven can't touch them. Fascinating, isn't it? No particular theology for that or around that. Really interesting that from the realm of witchcraft, she was aware that people could be marked out for Jesus and by Jesus. And so Paul in this passage is saying that if you have been marked by Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you will all have manifestations of the Spirit given for the common good. Now, we may not be very good at recognizing them, but sometimes other people out there, particularly those who have... Uh, been involved in something like witchcraft or as a friend was involved in spiritualism, they can begin to see some of these things operating in the church in ways that we're not always so good to be. So look at how Paul begins this chapter. Now about spiritual graces, uh, it's translated here gifts, but grace is is better because you'll see why as the passage goes through. About spiritual graces, I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't know how ignorant or informed you feel today about these graces of the Holy Spirit, uh, but Paul's saying it's good not to be ignorant of them. Why? Well, he doesn't say immediately, but he, he sets up an issue for them. He says, look, you've come from territory where people have been involved in paganism, and in pagan religions, they end up worshipping what he calls mute idols. So making a sacrifice at the the, the temple of uh, Diana, um, or for Jupiter, or for Mars, and saying, uh, my son's going off to war, so I'm going to make a sacrifice here, protect him, great god of war, or Aphrodite, uh, grant me success in love. As you put yourselves under the influence of these forces, you, he says you get led astray and influenced by them. We, of course, do parallel things with all sorts of things in our modern society, don't we? Uh, in my culture, where I'm inhabiting as a parent, um, we give our finances to the tutors <laughs> so that our children will be successful, or to the uh, schooling uh, that we think will make them successful. Um, we give finances to various clubs and activities, hoping that they will survive and thrive in a world. And you may have read in a paper today that 50% of our children in GCSE year now have some mental health issues uh, relating to the pressure that's put upon them. Is we can't just look at this and go, this is just something people used to do, trying to make sure they were secure and safe by sacrificing finances to these forces. The forces are very real in our society as well, and we sacrifice all sorts of things to them, 
trying to get better for ourselves and for others. And sometimes that's even more tangible, more tangibly spiritual than just material. And he says, look, you used to be led astray to these mute idols all the time. Uh, Therefore, this is how you can discern whether the force that you're being led astray to is, is a negative force or whether actually you're being drawn to a good force. And he says it's the Jesus test. And the Jesus test is simply this. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, on the one hand, that sounds fairly silly, doesn't it? Um, because, you know, who can't repeat after me? You know, the cat sat on the mat. If I said the cat sat on the mat, you could all repeat the cat sat on the mat. If I say Jesus is Lord, you can all parrot back to me. <laughs> so does it mean that no one can say the liturgy in an Anglican worship service unless the spirits are working them? It doesn't mean that. It means say, own, and come under the reality of the lordship of Jesus. So if Jesus is lord of your life, if he has got territory in your life, if he is in control of your life, the only way that can have happened is by the action of God himself, the Holy Spirit. Because we're inclined to push God away, And when God comes in as saviour, friend, and Lord, that is a spiritual act that we can't achieve of our own ends. Does that make sense? So if you can say, actually, when I look in at myself, when I review my history, when I think about what God's done for me, Jesus Christ has become my Lord and Master, then you can also say, I have the Holy Spirit. Because that is the defining test of whether you have the Spirit of God. It is whether Jesus Christ has become Lord of your life. You say, well, he's only imperfectly Lord of my life. Well, join the club. That's true of everyone who ever tried to follow Jesus from the disciples onwards. But if you can say, you are my Lord and my God, as St. Thomas did after the resurrection, my Lord and my God, or as Peter said to him, if you can say, you are Lord, I want to follow you, I believe, help my unbelief, then that is the Holy Spirit at work in you because on your own you're inclined to be in enmity to him. If you're coming under his lordship, that's his grace that has been given to you. Does that make sense? It's the acid test of being a Christian. It's the test of whether you've got the spirit. Is Jesus Christ Lord? Not what spiritual experience can you tick off left, right, and center. Not whether you've got any of these particular gifts, but is Jesus Christ the Lord? And it makes sense of passages like where Jesus is talking about people who come to him and says, Lord, Lord, in your name we cast out demons and we saw healings and miracles. And he says to them, get away from me, I never knew you. So people can parrot and mimic the gifts that we'll discover in the rest of this passage, but you can't mimic or parrot that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the most important thing from this passage is only by the Holy Spirit that you can say Jesus be Lord and conversely then if whatever's going on in you and for you says a curse on Jesus then that's not the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit will never bring a curse on Jesus Christ he'll never take you away from the cross 
and resurrection of Jesus. He'll never take you away from the story of Jesus. He won't orientate you towards anything else, not your experiences, not you, not, not the church you're in, not anything. He will always orientate you to Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. The Spirit gives away to Jesus Christ. He's, he's not desirous of our attention. We pray, come Holy Spirit. We pray almost to the Spirit, but in the Scripture, the prayers are always to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit points away to Christ all the time, and Christ points away to the Father. Okay, so that's the basics. If you can say Jesus is Lord, you've got the Holy Spirit. If you can't, you haven't, and you need to do something about that very soon. It's the most important decision you make. It's whether you're filled with the Spirit, whether Jesus is your Lord. It's the defining thing for eternity, the biggest decision of all. Please, please, please come under the Lordship of Christ as far as you can. And when you get to the end of how far you can, cry out and say, please be more Lord of my life. I give it all to you again. That's verses 1 through 3. We don't want you to be ignorant about it. Here's the test. And then let's unpack what you might be ignorant of. Verse 4. There are different kinds of graces, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God. And then we have, again, a similar theme in verse 7. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So there's different and same. What's different? There are different gifts, different serving, and different working. What's the same? The same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. The Spirit, Jesus, and God are all the same, uh, but worked out among us, we, we work it out differently in terms of our service, in terms of our gifts, in terms of uh, what we can do for God. All of us, under the Spirit, get involved in this, though. Each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit, is given for the common good. Why do we have the Holy Spirit and manifestations of the Spirit? For the common good. Not so I can tick it off on my spiritual chart. You know, Richard's got holier this year. <laughs> At MOT, April 2018. Oh, Richard's been speaking tongues more than he did last year. <laughs> None of that. It's for the common good. That is us collectively as a church family or as Christians in this, in this city, this great city of London. Uh, when the Spirit's at work in us, it should increase the common good of God's church. And we'll see, you'll say that this spills over to those outside the church as well. Let's have a look through the, the different gifts then and see how the common good might be achieved through them. And we'll do our best to try and provide definitions of what are poorly defined in Scripture and see if we can make sense of them. To the one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. Now, what could wisdom mean? Uh, fortunately, with this one, we have probably the most information in that the whole middle chunks of the Scripture are called the wisdom books. Um, Psalms, Proverbs, through Ecclesiastes. Um, they're all books of wisdom um, that teach us a lot about who wisdom might be. Wisdom is, is a person in the Proverbs, a feminine person and a person who seems to represent God very closely, almost like the Spirit of God. And when wisdom comes along, wisdom orientates people away from foolishness. The foolish person says in their heart, there is no 
God, but the wise understands that there is a God and the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah? So we know lots about wisdom from the scripture and a message of wisdom will orientate you towards belief in God. It will give you a, a sense of, ah, right, that's the way to go. It will take you away from your atheism and from your reliance on yourself and point you to a reliance on God. When you've heard a message of wisdom, it comes straight to you and you go, yeah, okay, I need to orientate that way. I can't rely on myself anymore. I need to fear God and from that gain wisdom. What do we mean by fearing God? It doesn't mean cowering in the, the, the sense of uh, his lightning bolts coming down to strike us. I saw a wonderful picture today of uh, the White House with a lightning bolt coming down and narrowly missing it. And the image on the Twitter feed above it was, uh, was from God, um, at God or whatever. And it's saying, darn, my miss is, 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 is increasing these days. <laughs> and my, my aim's got worse than it used to be. Uh, it doesn't mean that we fear God's thunder and lightning bolts the fear of God is that reverent respect that actually can have us cowering, going, ah, oh, I'm not worthy, but more normally orientates us to, crikey, I'm nothing, you're everything, and I, I respect you, I love you. I'm so far away from you. I'm, I need to hear from you. Part of wisdom is knowing the gap between us and God and longing that he might close it, knowing what we're not as well as what we are. So one person may have a message of wisdom that inclines us towards belief in God and trust in God and fear of God and helps us just to decide which way to go. I've often had this experience in, in a committee meeting uh, where there's been one voice which has been discordant from the others but has been the voice of wisdom. Everyone's been like, we're going this way. And someone said, but do we remember so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so and how this may impact them? Wisdom. And it reminds you that you need God, not just doing it on your own in order to make the right way forward. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. Now, people argue about this one. There's no particular definition of it in the scriptures. It may be that someone has acquired a certain amount of knowledge and then they are able to bring out of their treasure chest of knowledge um, just that information. So maybe they do the hard work of studying the scriptures and you're having a debate on your Tuesday lunchtime Bible study on uh, who the suffering servant is in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Maggie's done a lot of homework and she's able to bring out from her knowledge the sense that, oh, there's four servant songs about the suffering servant in Isaiah. And that seems to spill over into the New Testament. And although it's ambiguous who it might be to begin with, it really seems to be about Jesus. And so um, I think we should look at this through the lens of Jesus. Now there is a, a message of knowledge that the Spirit might stir up your memory banks from the knowledge you've acquired by hard study and bring it to be. But it could also be um, a, a sort of a prophetic revelation as well, a knowledge that you couldn't possibly have uh, by other means. It might be that you are looking at someone and praying about something, and you think, oh, I just wonder whether someone in your family 
let's use the witchcraft thing. Someone in your lineage or family has been involved in coven activity or witchcraft. And that might have a hold on you now. And maybe God wants to break that away from you and set you free from that. And they may not have been bad people. They may have been perfectly good people in your past. (laughs) But that activity was against what God wanted for you and against what he wants for you now. And he wants to set you free from it. And that's a message then of specific now knowledge. (laughs) Um, A a revelation of now. And very, very um, transformative when someone speaks in such a way. Um, we'll, uh, We'll pick up a bit more on that when we come to the prophetic. A faith by the same spirit. A gift of faith is so helpful, isn't it? I can remember when we were doing the stonework appeal here in 2012-2013 and we got to the PCC and we were having to raise £300,000 and I think it was Dee Carpenter who sat in the room and she said, well in 2000 God gave us a million pounds so I'm sure we're going to be fine now. (laughs) And in the room alongside Dee was this incredible sense of peace and faith that the God who provided yesterday will provide today. And that's exactly how it worked out, wasn't it? We didn't have to take a loan. It was all sorted within, within nine months. Incredible. And, and you'd say, goodness knows how. How, would, how did that happen? And yet faith brought into action what needed to, have, needed to happen. A gift of faith by the Spirit. And you can see how that worked for the common good in that meeting. Someone just going, yes, of course God's going to do it. Not blasé, not reckless, but based on on firm foundations, really helps. And we have this one, another gifts of healing by that one spirit. Now, sometimes people talk about people with healing hands or particular abilities or graced prayer. And the, the detail in this passage suggests that the gifts of healing aren't given to a person who then is a healer, but to the person who needs healing, who then gets healed. So it's not that some of us walk around as mini healers with superpower, supercharged hands for healing. It's that God brings healing to his community and to people outside the community he's trying to draw in through the gift of faith, through the gift of healing expressed by a person who responds in faith to him. So is there a superstar healer in our midst? No. God loves to bring healing, and through faith, he activates that healing to people. Um, That seems to be the the best way of defining that, although there are people to whom they seem to have a very special propensity to be able to pray in faith or speak in faith for healing. Many of these things, your your notes, are a bit like uh, the muscles that Dennis builds up uh, when he goes to the gym. Um, If you give us a little um, thing there hasn't been to the gym for three years mate it's a sad story but in the meantime his spiritual muscles have been building up so yeah there you can go um i have been to the gym so i'll give you a little demonstration for you Um, but each muscle that you work on spiritually or physically gets built up by repetition of use and building up if you have a tiny bit of faith over 20 years it could be a huge amount of faith how? If you exercise it. If you have a tiny bit of faith in 20 years' time, it may still be a tiny bit of faith or non-existent. How? If you neglect it. 
So the amount of these things that we have is partly what's being given to us and partly how we use them. <laughs> if you put yourself in positions where you need to use them, then they will no doubt grow. Um, so the others, miraculous powers, I think that's self-explanatory. Um, to another, prophecy. Um, prophecy is the act of being able to receive revelation from God and then speak it out. It's not often foretelling, but it is normally foretelling. It's not often foretelling like a, like a fortune cookie. Like uh, when you go out of here, you're going to meet a girl and she's going to have blonde hair and blue eyes and be six foot six or something. It's, it's not often that sort of thing. It's often foretelling. It's speaking the heart of the Father God to someone, saying, you really need to know today um, this, this, and this. Jesus uses it all the time in the Gospels. Um, there's a particular moment where he sees Nathaniel, at the calling of Nathaniel in John's Gospel, John 1, and he says, I saw you under the fig tree. Uh, and Nathaniel responds, who are you? So clearly, the fig tree wasn't just over there, and he saw Nathaniel over there going, oh, I saw you under the fig tree. <laughs> it must have been something that he could only see in his mind's eye. And it causes Nathaniel to go, whoa, how did you know I was there? He has a revelatory gift, which he uses again and again. And the scripture is very clear that Jesus only does what he sees his father doing. And so it's very important prophecy. And we'll see more of that as we go through Corinthians 12 to 14. Distinguishing between spirits is a particularly important gift, particularly when you're on mission. Because people carry you around with them all sorts of baggage and are often speaking out of different places. Sometimes someone may be speaking out of hurt, out of pain, out of crisis, out of sin, out of occult or witchcraft or all sorts of things like that. And carrying along with them in their speech comes all these different things, these different spirits that they may be speaking from. And if you can distinguish what's what, you can work out whether an attack is something you want to defend yourself from or you want to hug it out, <laughs> or love it out. It may be that, um, um, say Emma's had a bad day, and she comes into work, and she's like, Richard, blah, 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 noisily, you know, hard, hard to imagine. Um, and she just goes, blah, at me. Now, if you're discerning the spirit, you may have just worked out that she's just been coming to work, someone's splashed her in a puddle, um, She's had a terrible day, uh, all sorts of things going on. She just needed to get it out of her system and shout at someone for a while. Um, that's really different to uh, someone who walks in and builds up a concerted attack against someone um, where they're just like really angry and it's been distilled in a really dark place. And we do this all the time, don't we? We distinguish between the spirit someone's walking in when they're interacting with us. And it's a really important gift, and the Holy Spirit accelerates this and helps us to understand what's going on. And sometimes you can see that there's something gripping someone that isn't, they're not operating in their normal place. And you can just say, let's just sit down and have a talk about this or a prayer about this, shall we? Are you sure you're filled with the Spirit right now, or is it a different sort of Spirit you're carrying today? And just say, in Jesus' name, please just release my friend, my brother, my sister from whatever's bugging them. And bring your spirit 
into their life now. Amen. And if it's an attack from outside, then you, you say in Jesus' name, go away. Be gone. As Jesus did again and again when people are operating in funny spirits. Remember when Peter said, you cannot go and die on the cross? And Jesus said to him, get behind me. Satan, he discerned Satan in Peter and said, go away. He's talking to one of his best mates. <laughs> but it was right to say, go, distinguishing spirits. Speaking in different kinds of tongues, we'll pick up further in the later passages because there's lots on that later on as there is on interpretation. All of these gifts are the work of one and the same spirit and the spirit gets to give them to each person just as he determines. So as we'll see in next week's passage, you can't go around going, oh, it's not fair, I don't speak in tongues because it's the spirit who gets to give them. If you want a gift, it will say, ask for it. Don't whine that you haven't got it. And if you've got a little bit of a gift and you want more of it, then you should use it for the common good. And you might find that it grows and grows and grows and grows in you. So the gifts are for the common good. They come from the Spirit, the Lord, and God the Father. Uh, They come from the same place, but there are different types that we all get to have. We mustn't be ignorant about these And the fundamental thing that helps us discern if it's from God or not is when people are using them, can they say Jesus is Lord? Or is it more likely to say Jesus is cursed? Is it pointing people back to the cross of Jesus, to the uniqueness of Jesus, to the lordship of Jesus? Or is it uh, pointing people to anywhere else, including to the person who's using it? The graces of the Holy Spirit. May God bless his word to us today. Help us to understand this and to live it out well. In Jesus' name, amen.